Precious Father, I want to thank you again for this moment that we gather to listen to your word, to teach it, we trust you with it, that you will grant us mercy to understand what you are telling us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we are trying to go forward to the next doctrine that we need to study. That is the doctrine of the gifts of the Spirit. But before we get there, we need to finish with the, the fruit of the Spirit. I am strongly pressed to finish with it because this fruit of the Spirit, it's very important and it plays a very important role in our being used of the Holy Spirit to manifest his presence. If we live a lie, he may not find us a vessel to use. So that's why it's important that we lay proper foundation on this because this teaching is, is very, very primary for a Christian. So our text is 1 Corinthians 12, 1, and concerning the spiritual things, brethren, I do not wish you to be ignorant. This is Young Literally Translation, which is the proper and accurate translation of this verse. Some other verses, uh, translations say concerning spiritual gifts. But that, that verse, chapter 12, is not just talking only about spiritual gifts. It was talking about other things that the Holy Spirit does, like the offices of the church and things like that. So this is a more accurate uh, translation concerning the spiritual things or the things of the spirit or the things that spirit does. He said, I do not want you to be ignorant. So we are not supposed to be ignorant concerning the things that the Holy Spirit does. And like I said, we need to conclude the fruit of the spirit because it plays a major role in we being vessels that God will use in these manifestations of the Holy Spirit and in the other things that he does. 2 Timothy 2, 12 to 19 says, But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. In a worthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean. You will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. So you see that living the spirit life it's very, very important. It's, it's, it ties into these manifestations of the Holy Spirit that we are going to talk about. So we say that this um, living the Spirit life, this fruit of the Spirit, ranks number one for every Christian to live this new life and leave the old carnal life behind. This life is manifested in one word, and that is love of God, which is the nature of God. Love. The Bible says if you love, you fulfilled 
all the laws of God. First John 4, 8 says, He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. For God is love. So this new life is the greatest of all manifestations we, are going, we experience as Christians. First Corinthians 13 from verse 1. New Living Translation says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clinging symbol. Verse 2. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all the God's secrets, plans, possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I could be nothing. If I give everything I have to the poor, and even sacrifice my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing out of it. Love is patient, kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about the injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So you see what the scripture is saying? That no matter what we do, that the greatest of it all is to live this life of love, to live this life of Christ. Christ gave us his life, not so that we store it and be talking about it. He gave us his life so that he will manifest in real life. So we can see the place, the position, the primary place of this life in our Christian walk. Secondly, we say that in this new life, we have freedom from the power of sin. And we need now to make choices that accords with this new life. God dignified us with the dignity of freedom of choice. Set us free. The Bible said before we were slaves of sin. We were slaves of the devil. But now we are free. He set us free. And this freedom gives us the privilege and advantage to make choices that accord with the new nature we have. So there is choices that we need to make. And so we need to now willingly consecrate our lives to him or on our own accord. Not by enticement, but to choose to love him. There is no enticement in Christianity. It is not by enticing word of man's wisdom. God does not entice anybody to anything. Whatever you are dealing with God has to be your own choice, has to come from your heart. So our consecration has to come from our heart. It has to be a choice that we make, that we consecrate our lives to he that loved us and died for us. Because we are now free. Look at our freedom again. Romans 6 says, we know that our old sinful slave selves were crucified with Christ. So we know that now. So that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Brethren, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. 
For when he died with Christ, when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. This is the testimony of God. This is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. When we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin, the life to God, to Christ Jesus. Which means we are dead to sin and we respond to God. We respond only to God. We are dead. We, our response to sin is like a dead body response to life. So we are dead to it. We've been freed from it. It says consider yourself that you are dead to sin. And because we are no more slaves and now we are alive to God, we make choices that reflect our new reality. That we are people who are dead to sin and alive to God. You know, in the natural, we make, we make choices that reflect that we are human beings. There are choices we make. They say, this, this person is acting like an animal. Which means you are not making choices that accords with you, status and your nature as a human being. So now that we are new creatures in Christ, we make choices that accords with our new nature. But all these things come from knowledge. From knowing that we are no more slave to sin than that we are dead to sin. Brother, if you don't, if, if these things don't make, don't make any meaning to you, they will not influence your life at all. You'll be living by the law of Moses. You'll be doing all those kind of stuff. That ends only in self-righteousness. We're no more slaves, so we can make choices, unlike before. Now, Romans 6 begins to tell us what choices that we can make. Do not let sin control the way you live. That's a choice. That's a choice. Do not give in to sinful desires. That's a choice. Verse 13. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil. Instrument of evil. Instrument of evil to serve sin. That's a choice. Instead, give yourself completely to God, for you were dead. But now you have new life that responds to God. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. That's a choice. 14. Sin is no longer your master. Repeat it again. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Because when we were under the law before Christ came, we didn't have freedom. The son hadn't come to serve us free, set us free. Under the law, there was no freedom. The Bible said, we, we, the, under the law, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That the law revealed that we are sinful. Say, by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law didn't bring us freedom. Only Jesus did. Actually, the law brought us condemnation. So it says, it says in verse 14 again, sin is no longer your master, 
for you no longer live under the requirement of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You see what we're saying? The, under the grace of God, Christ set us free. You are saved by grace. You receive by faith. You are saved. You are set free. Saved. Snatched out of the power of sin. Snatched out of the power of the devil. Snatched from the world. And brought into the family of God. Saved. Somebody did that. Jesus did that. We are saved by grace. Under the grace, under grace we received freedom. Fifteen. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you have become, that you become the slave of whatever you choose to be? Choice. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death again. You can, you can go back to the vomit, the things you vomited. It's choice. The prodigal son was a son. The prodigal child was a son. He was in the family, but he chose. He chose to quit, to go to the world, and he was eating with pigs. He walked away from the blessings of his father. He walked into death, so to say. He walked into everything was happening in the world was happening to him. The hunger in the world, he was suffering. Everything. That's what he's saying. You can walk away from your blessings and walk back into the world and suffer like the prodigal son with them. That prodigal son was a son. He lived with the father. So the Bible says, if, let me read that verse again, verse 16. That's if I can, 15, 16. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatsoever you choose to be? If you are lying all the time, it, it, you, it, it lies enslaves you again. It enslaves you again. It enslaves you again. And you made that choice. Little drops of water make an ocean. If whatever you allow to be, to be your character, to be your nature, will finally, ultimately enslave you. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. When I choose to consecrate my life to Christ and on consistent basis, I am training myself in that direction. That becomes my life. That becomes practice makes perfect. 17, thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now, you wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly obey this teaching. We have given you what teaching? There were no more slaves. There were no more slaves to sin. We are free from the control of sin. That we are now dead to sin. We are alive to God. We have a new nature. Don't try to make it. It's already, God already did it in Christ. We have a new nature. He said, now you have, now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from the, your slavery to sin, and you have become slave to righteous living. Freedom of consecration. 
Because we are free. Because we are free. And this consecration to Christ is one major way we serve him. Again, it's, it's, it's one major way we worship him. Romans 12, 1, I'm reading New Living Translation. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. He set us free. We are no Muslim. You see, because of all he has done. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. That's the way to worship him. That's the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You see, the present body of Christ is copying the world a lot. Changing the way we do things to, to please the world, to be copying. We copy the world in everything. I don't see anybody who has been healed, anybody who has been set free, because we copied anything from the world. If you have seen one, I want to see. We've been tending into entertainment like the world. Don't copy the behavior and custom of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's way for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We need, therefore, to discipline ourselves because of the choice we make. It calls for discipline. We're talking about living the new life, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. It calls for discipline, serious discipline. You know, people get confused that after being born again, they still want to do the same things they were doing before. Of course, you know. First thing you need to know is that your mind, your, the, the natural has its own mindset. There's a natural way we do things. There is a thing that is right in our eyes. There are things that we naturally crave for and we want to do. They are still there. Your spirit is born again. But your natural, your natural makeup is still there. And it is that will of man that is in you, that controls, that tells you to do this and you do that. Because that's what seems good to you. The ways that seem good in the eyes of men is coming from his will. The will of a man. The will of a man. What he wishes to do because of who he is. Because of his natural being. The thing that pleases him naturally. Throwing anger tantrums will satisfy his ego. So he will throw it. Satisfies his ego. It comes from the will. The natural will. Not the will of God. So it's, it's still there. That's why we need to start to renew our minds with the word of God. And start believing what God says. When we start believing what God says, we begin to make it a dominant information, the dominant factor that controls what we do. Then we subject that our will to the word of God. Subject it to the word of God. That's what being disciplined, that's what disciplining yourself does. You subject that, your will, your will will always want to do something. 
It will, we, it will come. Thoughts will come. This will come. They do come. You can't stop it. But you discipline. You, you take your thoughts captive. You take them captive. You don't let them rule you. You don't you know. You take them captive to the obedience of the word. You say, no, I'm not a slave to sin. Didn't you hear that? I am free from you. You're not controlling me. I am dead to you. You know, you take those thoughts captive. You can't be inactive and just, you know, just relax. And then every thought that comes, you are, you are, you are meditating on it, enjoying it, and meditating on it. And tomorrow you say, oh, my God, I don't know why I'm doing this. You are doing that because you give your heart to that thought. You should capture it, take it captive. It's an active thing. It's not, it's not something you do passively. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians 9.27. I discipline my body like an athlete. Yeah. If you want to succeed in school, you need to discipline yourself and study. If you want to succeed in athletics, you need to discipline yourself. You don't just get yourself into just about anything. Because you need to succeed there. You run a race as a Christian, you discipline yourself too. You don't let your, 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 your mind and your thoughts run riot. And then you don't feed your mind and your thought just about any junk that you see on television, anything they chew on internet, you feed yourself. An athlete doesn't eat just anything. Your coach will not let you. Your diet is, they have dietitians, they pay them. You eat the appropriate meal and, do, and you sleep and wake up when you're supposed to go for exercise. Your coach will see to it. Why? Because you're going out there to compete with other people. So as a Christian too, we got to discipline ourselves. And don't just eat anything. Don't take in anything into your heart. Don't take in anything into your eyes. Don't. Don't keep just any company. Don't do that. Because evil communication will destroy your consecration. And you know, we're careless with these things. Because we think it doesn't matter. Let me tell us the truth. It's, it matters a lot. It does matter. You see, as I was writing this and they got to the part where I was talking about the, the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, I said to the Lord, I said, also what we saw in the book of Acts of the Apostles, we don't seem to be seeing that today, say, because people don't honor me. He said, this present generation has no respect for me. He said, read the Bible. If you're a vessel of honor, I use it. Say, they honor the world. And so that's why we don't, we don't make effort because we don't understand the value that this thing offers us. We think you're just coming to church and going, I'm Pentecostal, and they go to this. That's not what it is all about. It is about the fruit I bear. Jesus said, you are not going to be known by the church you go to. He said, by your fruits, we know you who are my disciples. This is critical. This is important. First Corinthians 9, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. After I preach to people, crusades and stuff like that, I could be disqualified. Things like studying your Bible, though. making time to study your Bible, listening to Bible studies, being Sunday school, life center. 
so that you keep your heart on things on high and fill your heart. Let my word dwell richly in you. You've got to discipline yourself to do this because there are competing things that want also your attention. And the, the, the scriptures say, my son, attend to my word. Listen to what I'm telling you. It is medicine to your flesh and life to you. It takes discipline to listen. It takes serious discipline to listen. So, having talked about our consecrating ourselves, let's talk about the motivation for this consecration. The motivation for this consecration is the love we have for the Lord Jesus. It's not because of law or anything. You know, I hear people say, you know, do this so you make heaven. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. I mean, that's okay. That's beautiful. Because the early church, they were waiting for Jesus to come. Some of them stopped walking. And Paul told them, if you don't walk, you don't eat. Yeah, it's good. It's good to have that kind of motivation so that you don't end up in hell. That's wonderful. But the motivation that is the purest and the best motivation is the love we have for God. And that is what makes it sustainable. And that one makes it with stress-free. Because love will make you do things that you don't feel the pain. Love will make you do things from the heart. The motivation to consecrate to Christ is the love we have for him. Matthew 22, 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Why? If I love God with all my heart, he is my treasure. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. He becomes my treasure. And if God is my treasure above every other thing, he receives my attention all the time. I want to keep company with him. I want to hear what he has to say. I want to do what he says. Even in the natural love realm, part of the chemistry of love is that you want to do what the person you love wants. It's natural. You don't have to come to me and say, Pastor, I want to marry her. Does she love me? If you ask that question, you don't, either you don't know anything or she doesn't love you, stop. She doesn't love you or you don't know anything. Love is not hidden. Even people who watch you will know these people I love. They don't, you don't have to say it. It's not hidden. Because it, 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 it comes from within. It, the motivation is, is, is from inside. It's not even, it's... Um, what they call autonomous action. It's involuntary. Most of the time, you really don't think. Something from within. If that person is talking, you are listening. You don't even think. You, don't, you, are, you, it, you listen with rapt. Everything is, is your hero. You want to hear everything he's saying. And if you call you on the phone, you pick the phone quickly. Because you want to hear. What's motivating that? It's your love for the person. In the natural realm, the chemistry of love involves this desire to do things that pleases the wife. If you're a woman and the person you love wants you to wear this cloth, man, you wear it. Why? You want to look good for him. You, are you kidding me? You, wear it, you go buy it from wherever it is. Because why? 
You want to look good. If you are a man and you are cotton, man, you want to dress fine. You dress so well and, and put some perfume so you smell so nice. Even though before you saw her, you were not wearing perfume. All of a sudden, now wear perfume. And go to the barber and do your hair. Before you go, you brush your mouth. Why are you doing that? You are motivated by your love for her. That's same thing with God. God said, love me with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. If you do that, we are good to go. I, I got your attention. You will do what I, I, I told you to do. We can have this. This is sustainable. That's what sustains this consecration. You don't, you don't, you do it. Oh my God, you want to do it. Oh, you, have, you just want to do Are you kidding me? You know, listen to Ms. Mean recently. He was talking to us at the Believers Committee. He said, he said, he said all of a sudden I realized that my, my communion with God had gone down. And I said, God bless you. I said, a lot of Christians who have been in church for 20 years don't even know when that happens. He said, I realized that my fellowship with him is not what it used to be. And I went to the Lord and said, what is happening? He said, your love for me has gone down. You begin to love other things more than me. And Jesus said, if you love anything more than me, you are not fit. You can't follow me. Because that thing will compete. Will compete with me. And then the young boy said, he went to God in prayer and said, Lord, revive my love for you. He said, the whole thing came back up. People were so confused. They don't know what God wants them to do. Whether they will marry Mary or marry John. Build your fellowship with God in love. Let your intimacy with God be real. You will know, the Bible said, when you do that, you know the perfect will of God. That's Romans chapter 12. Say, you know the will of God. Because you, when you, your communion, communion with God, communication with God will clear, clearer, because you are intimate with him. You have come to know his voice. Self. Some people don't even know the voice of God like Samuel. That's why when God speaks to them, they go to human beings. They're looking for prophets and things. They don't know anything. They hear a sermon, God is talking to them. They don't know anything because they're babies. In that intimacy, you know what God is saying. You will know. Because he said, I will guide you. No, wow, that's not me. Okay, Lord, wow, who is it then? He said, don't worry, I'll give you. You know, that's a wonderful benefit of this, of this consecration that comes to you as a Christian. You walk in the light. You don't get confused. Look at our Lord Jesus Christ. In John 14, 30, giving himself as an example. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, 31. But I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. I'm doing this because I love my Father. Nobody is forcing me to lay down my life. I'm doing it willingly. I love the Father. Come, let's go. Let's be going. I'm ready now. I love my Father. The enemy is coming. He has no power over me. But I'm going to yield to the, all that beating and all that crucifixion and all that wickedness. I'm going to yield to it. I love the Father. That's why. I'm motivated by my love for my Father. Come, let's be going. He knew what he was walking into. 
And he says, but to do good, come here, I think I mixed up this. Yeah. But he said, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. To walk in love for, with such sacrifices, God is pleased. I, I think I missed scriptures here. But it's okay. Well, you say, how can I develop love for God? It's simple. First John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. Now, if you don't know his love for you, you won't love him. That's what the scripture is saying. If you don't know his love for you, you won't love him. His love for me that I need to appreciate and I need to acknowledge if I want to respond in love. Romans 5 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we had been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Since our relationship with God was restored by the death of his son. While we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Paul was writing about acknowledgement and recognition of the value of our salvation. That God demonstrated his love. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was talking about what benefit that brought to us as Christians. He said, this is God demonstrating his love. You know, our salvation doesn't really make any meaning to us. Doesn't make too much meaning to us. First John 4, 9. Dear friends, let's continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Remember what we said at the beginning, that this new life is about the love of God, verse 8. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love, verse 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God. He didn't do that in response to our love. We didn't love God. But that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. An unconditional love. He said not that we love him, but he did this. Unconditional. Love is a pure motivation. It's not selfish at all. It's not selfish. There is no selfishness in that. It does not, it does not force you to do anything. 
God did it on his own accord. He was not forced to do it. It was his nature. It was his character. It was his life to love. And his love is not bought. It's not earned. It's free. It comes out of his nature. And in verse, it says, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Eleven, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other then. No one has seen God. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. His love is brought to full expression in us. If we love each other, then God is being manifested through us. That's what we're talking about. The life of Christ is being manifested. Nobody has seen God at any time, but people can see God because God is love as we manifest that life. We manifest that fruit of the Spirit, the life of Jesus. Now, Paul. Why did Paul consecrate his life to Christ? Galatians 2.20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Listen to Paul. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. You must mark that word, the faith of the Son of God. Who loved me? You see where he's going? He loved me, gave himself for me. For Paul, this is a big deal. He loved me, gave himself for me. He said, man, I'm crucified with him. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead. I, even though I'm living, I'm, I died with him and I did, I'm dead to sin, yet I'm living. But it is Christ now that lives. The life I now live in the flesh, in the flesh, I live by the same faith that Jesus lived his own life. He loved me, gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. I don't frustrate what Christ did for me. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So to Paul, our salvation was a great deal. He revealed to him the love of God. Hebrews 2, 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Have we found this to be true? In our understanding? So great salvation. And look at what that did, did in the life of Paul. Acts 21, 13. Then Paul answered, what mean ye to weep and to break my heart? I'm reading Acts 21, 13. Then Paul answered, what mean you to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And my question is, how much love does this man have for Jesus? And is there anything in his life he won't give up, give up if Jesus said give it up? Is there anybody who won't forgive quickly if he knows that Jesus said forgive? Tell me, is there anything that you find difficult not to consecrate and give up? If he's prepared to lay down his life and say, I'm ready to die. He said, I'm ready to be bound and to die too because of it. Why? He loved me. And he never ceases to refer to this. He never ceases to refer to He loved me. He died for me. He, he said that of all sinners are the worst. Because what he did for me. He appreciated that. That motivated his love for Jesus. It's not Ten Commandments thing. It's not you, you are going to hell. If you don't do it, you go to hell or you end the hellfire. That's not the motivation. Motivation is love. 
And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandment. John 15, 9, he gave himself as an example. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love, 10. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments, I remain in his love. He said, I love my Father, and that's why I do what he says. You people love me, do what I say to And 11, just in case we don't understand what this commandment is about. Because once we talk of commandment and obedience, people naturally drift to the law. That's why, they, that's why I don't talk a lot with the word obedience. I rather use the word act on. Because I realize that once you talk obedience, because of a renewed nature of a lot of people's mind, once you talk obedience, they drift quickly to the law. And they leave, the, leave grace totally. And yet it is under grace you are free. Under grace you have empowerment to do what God says you should do. The, immediately you talk of obedience, the next thing you hear everyone talking is law. <laughs> what they would do on themselves. They leave the arena of grace quickly, quickly. Verse 11. I have told you this thing so that you will be filled with my joy. He said, this is why I'm telling you to love me and do what I'm telling you. You'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So I think this is my commandment. It's not 10 commandments. I mean, it's not, it's not 12 commandments, whatever, 10. Whatever. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. Everything you do as a Christian must be judged with the background of the love of God. Everything must be done against the background. Does it qualify? Does it come in the realm of the love of God? If it's not, then it's not God. It's not acceptable. That's what I was telling them at uh, one of our meetings. I said, no, you don't go to your wife and say, you must, your body belongs to me. No, you don't do that. You, if he says, no, you're not touching me. Let love, let love guide your action at that moment. The Bible says love does not seek its own way. What you're thinking about that is not what you want. It's what, how do I make her better? What happened? What did I do? Lord help. You need to really, really find out at that point, if you're motivated by the love of God, if you're controlled by that love that gave his life for you, you will lay down your life for her. You do everything in your power to make her happy and find that if she's sick, you, you do everything in your power. Because you're being motivated and controlled by the love of God. You are controlled by this nature that you received. This is my commandment, love each one, love each other in the same way I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Lay down your life for your children, for your husband, for your wife, and stop all this fighting and quarreling and the ego trips and stuff. It's not the love of God. You lay down your life. You, you honor God with that. You let Christ show his love. Jesus said, this, the reason I'm telling you is so that your joy will overflow. It will overflow. You will see me in action. You will overcome evil with good. At point, we don't believe God. We don't believe the scriptures. 
So this love has to be from the heart, from the heart. It makes you do something willingly. In, in 2 Corinthians 9-7, let each one give as he has made up his own mind and purpose in his heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion. You don't respond to God reluctantly or sorrowfully, under compulsion, with murmuring. God doesn't accept stuff like that. You can't say, if not that I'm a Christian, I won't do this. But let me do it. You are murmuring. You're sorrowful. It won't work. God doesn't accept that. That's not love. The motivation is not love. For God loves, he takes pleasure in prizes above other things and is unwilling to abandon or to do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt, prompt to do it giver. Cheerful. You consecrate out of your love for him cheerfully. And he paid the price cheerfully. Jesus never went to the cross murmuring. Mom, never. A joyful prompt to do it, giver, whose heart is in his giving. Your heart is in your consecration. When you talk to people, you, you respect them. You honor them. Or you say, Pastor, you don't know what they're saying. Yeah, the Bible says you minister grace to every hearer. Minister love to every hearer. Do you, you think when you talk to God, you know what they're saying all the time? You minister grace to every hearer. You don't raise your voice because somebody's. There is no reason to duplicate evil. You don't. There's no reason for that. You say, oh, Pastor, what he did to me because of what he did to me. It, that's not the law of love. It's not the law. I told you, everything we do should be put against the background of the law of love. For he who does not love does not know God. The Bible said, if you love, you are a child of God. The fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said, by this shall all men know you are my disciples. The fruit is being defined. It's love. The love of God. That's the character of Christ. It's not Ten Commandments. Love will make you go above and beyond Ten Commandments. People are fighting with whether they will pay tight or not. They're close. How can you do that? If you love God, you go beyond 10%. You, you, you give, the Spirit will prompt men, he will tell you what to do. Because the money belongs to him. You know, they say that, hey, it's Old Testament. It's not Old Testament to anything, no. I'm going to teach on it one day. It's not Old Testament, nothing. That started before Moses was born. That started before Moses was born. Abraham gave tithe before Moses was born. And then Malachi is not even saying that God will curse you because you didn't pay tithe. No. God is just telling you the consequences of stealing from him. That's all. He, he, he said, you're cursed with the curse. He didn't say, I'm going to curse you. He didn't say that. No, say I cost you their cause because you take my money, take what belongs to me. He's just telling you the consequence. Exactly what we read before now. <laughs> that if you continue in sin, it leads to death. It leads, it leads you away from the blessing. If you steal from God and steal from human beings, is it not stealing? God said, You're taking my stuff. You are stealing from me. That's why you are it's leading you away from the blessing because it's see. 
What you are doing is empowering the, 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 the spirit that steals to steal your own. For what you make happen to others will happen to you. God was just simply telling them simple things that is true. It's not because he was cursing them. <laughs> God will open our eyes. It's not cursing them nothing. God curses nobody. He told them the truth. He said, you are cursed with their cause. He didn't say I cursed them. He said, because you are stealing my money, you are stealing what belongs to me. Because he has told them by the prophets, <laughs> that the tithe is solely unto the Lord. And Abraham paid tithe. The four ten commandments was written. People, it is still holy unto the Lord. I will teach on it if I have time one of these days. So we give, we give willingly, not grudgingly, now, we talked about the motivation. Let's talk about how, how we now live this life. Also, how to live the life of the Spirit is by walking by the same faith that Jesus lived his own life. Now, our Lord Jesus, let's see how he lived his own life. He lived in agreement with his Father. Agreement is very important in walking with God. Agreeing with God is critical in working with God. Because you can't work with God unless you are in agreement all the time. Wherever you disagree, you don't have fellowship with him there. So Amos 3 says, can two work together except they be agreed? So if God says to you, I've set you free from sin, you're no more a slave of sin. Shouldn't you be saying the same thing God said, regardless of what you're saying? So that you are in fellowship with God. Jesus kept his fellowship with his father. He kept that agreement with his father. In John 3.32, and what he has seen and heard, that he testified. What the father said is what he's saying. And no man received his testimony. People didn't take it. They didn't change it. People won't take your testimony if you start testifying about what God has said. Even Many Pentecostal circles would think you're stupid and foolish and, and even insult you for believing the word of God. People do that. That you stand on the word to receive something, people stand up and tell you you're stupid, you're foolish, that you have no wisdom. And these are people who carry the Bible. Somebody said that, the, the, that since the church had, had carnal leaders, people who are not spiritually minded, they have led the church into deep level of unbelief that they can't even believe God for healing anymore. Because they themselves are not receiving that way. So they think if I don't receive, nobody should receive. That's arrogance. Because you're not the example. I mean, when you should go to hospital. I go to hospital if I need to. Go to hospital. God will heal you through hospitals. But don't stop people believing God for what the scripture says is their own. Even in hospital, you should stand on scripture as God is your healer. And God will heal you there. You pray for the doctors. You pray for your medicine. It is not unbelief to go to a hospital. Go to a hospital. See your doctors. Go to your dentist. Let them clean your mouth. It's not unbelief. But when people stand on scripture, leave them alone. So Jesus, they didn't believe him. They didn't, but he didn't change the testimony. Let's, let's finish that scripture. John 3.32, and what he, had, what he had seen and heard, that he testified. And no, no man received his testimony. 
he that had received his testimony has said to had said to his seal that God is true. So if those who receive this testimony have found out that God is true, look at verse 34. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God only. For God giveth him the spirit by measure. Giveth him not the spirit by measure unto him. He speaks the word of God all the time. Whether people agree with him or don't agree with him, that's what God said about him. He was a good witness of the word. He was constantly in agreement with the father. Never once did he say anything contrary to what the father said. No matter how, what they were doing to him, they called him names, they did this, this. He, he kept the, what the father said, what, what was what he said, what was he lived by, what, what he depended on. He said, my words are not my own. It's my father's word. He was in constant agreement with his father. And he said, the father in me is now doing this thing. Because I'm in constant, say, because I do those things that please him. I'm always in constant agreement. Remember, without faith, you can't please him. So he said, because I believe his word, I'm in constant agreement with him. I please him. And Peter said this about Jesus. First Peter 2, 22. Who did no sin? Neither was God found in his mouth. You know what God is? He's saying what God didn't say. The word of God is true. The word of God is absolutely true. It's absolutely true. The word of God is absolutely true. And then he established the word of God in his life. See this scripture I was sharing with us yesterday, 2 Corinthians 13. This is the third time I'm coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Every word is established. In the mouth of two or three witnesses. In the mouth of two or every word is established. Every word, every word is established. Quit me. If you agree with the enemy, the, that word is established in your life. If you agree with God, the word of God is established in your life. Every word, every type of word, whether the one that destroys you, the one that doesn't destroy you, every word is established upon agreement. Jesus stood in agreement with the Father, and the word of the Father was established in his life. It was manifesting in reality. But when you don't stand in agreement with God, you're standing in agreement with something. And that is the word you establish. And I was telling them yesterday, I said, yeah, we say the word of God is settled in heaven, it's established in heaven. It's, don't bother about heaven. What word are you establishing in your life by your agreement? That's what is important now. That's how Jesus lived his life. And that's how we live our life, by believing what the scripture said about us. Establish it, and then it will come to be real in your life. Romans 3, 4. God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sins, and mightest overcome where thou art judged. Lord, Every man a liar, but God be true. That word of God is true. I don't care what is happening around you. I don't care what it is. Now, let me tell us something. The word you speak starts your life either away from the blessing of God or towards the blessing of God. The word we speak, if you listen to me, read good. The words you speak 
stars you away from the blessing of God, stars you away from healing, stars you away from victory, stars you away from the blessing of God, or stars you through the blessing of God, stars you to victory, stars you to healing. It's your own word, not somebody else's word. The word you agree with, if you agree with the word of defeat, it is established for you. It is established. There's nothing anybody can do about it. You drove your life with your mouth to that direction. And if you, if you like, pray from here to Monday. Unless you change that thing you're saying, nothing is happening. Look at James 3, 2 to 6. We all fall in many areas, but especially with our words. Take note of this. If we are able to breathe the words we say, we are powerful enough to control ourselves in every way. Did you see that? In every way. And that means our character is mature and fully developed too. You can't live the life of Christ when you don't believe and agree and establish the testimony of scripture about your salvation, that you are free from sin, you are a new creature, you have a new nature, you have the life of Christ. You have to establish that reality by agreeing with that word as your testimony. If you don't, if you think you're a sinner, if you think you're this, that's what you end up doing. Let me read it again. It says, verse, it says we, are, we all fell in many areas, but especially with our words. Yes, if we are able to breathe the words we say, then we are powerful enough to control ourselves in every way. And that means our character is mature and fully developed. Three, it begins to give an example of how what you say starts your life. Horses have beats and bridles in their mouths so that we can control and guide their large body. You control a horse with this thing in his mouth, bridle here. So if you want it to turn left, you pull the, you pull the rope here. So it will turn. If you want that, like, you put. You see, horses have that. Listen to this example. And bring this in their mouths so that we can control and guide their large body. And the same with mighty sheep. Though they are massive and driven by fierce winds, yet they are steered by a tiny rudder at the direction of the person at the hem. See, these big sheep we see, there's one tiny rudder that they... That the, that the captain uses to change it, even though there is storm in the, in the sea. But that captain will use it to turn it wherever it's going. He said the same thing with our tongue. It starts your life either towards storm or away from storm. Starts your life towards destruction, away from destruction. Didn't the scripture say that the power of life and death is, is in the tongue? It starts your life to destruction, starts your life to victory, depending on the world you're establishing in your life. You can use your mouth and destroy your marriage. You can use your mouth to prevent yourself from getting married. You can use your mouth to prevent yourself from getting accepted in a college. You can use your mouth and, and keep yourself failing and failing your grace. You can also use your mouth and direct, start your life towards marriage, towards success, towards overcoming failures. To, it's your mouth that starts your life. People who believe wrongly, they think wrongly, they speak wrongly, they ruin their lives. That's why faith is your victory. 
Look at First John 4, 5. Those people belong to this world now, so they speak from the world point of view, and the world listens to them. Yep. Most testimonies you hear from us is what is people are saying, what they hear from there. What this was here, television said, internet said, there's it said, said. And we say that we establish that and it becomes a reality. We agree with the world. We agree with them. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's point of view and the world listens to them. But we belong to God now. And those who know God listen to us. If they do not listen, if, if they belong to God, they, sorry. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us now. That is how you know if someone, if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. The spirit that will not believe God's point of view. God says you are a new creature. God says, look, I have delivered you from, from sin. You are no more a slave to sin. You, are now, you, are now, you have a new nature that responds to me. That person that says you don't believe that is a spirit of deception. He wants you to believe something contrary, that you are a sinner, that you have, you know, this runs in your family. Don't forget it runs in your family. I say, yeah, it's true. Hey, it runs in our family. This thing, you know, Pastor, I've been trying to stop it now. I can't even stop it, but I'm trying. Sha. You run, you are, I don't want to, you, you're wasting your time. That thing you are saying is what you are going to be doing. Because you have agreed with it, you are working together with it, you have established it as your reality, nothing will change it until you change what you are saying. You are starting your life toward that direction. You. See what God said about us. Romans 6, 5. Let, let me remind us again. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful slaves selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our life. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when he died with Christ, when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. He will never, he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin over me and you. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves, believe, see yourselves, to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. See, let that be your testimony morning, afternoon, night. Testify to what God has. Grace, the freedom grace has brought you. Agree with it. Establish it in your life. And you see it working. You see your life working. You see the word coming alive. You see the Holy Spirit performing it. You see the thing. Act, no effort. You just see it. Because that's what you are saying. You are agreeing with God. Jesus spoke and agreed with his father 
you, are, you say, I walk with the same faith of Christ. I'm agreeing with God. I am dead to sin. Sin has no power over me. And the devil said, but see what you are doing. Say, no, I'm calling those things that are not as if they were. The word of God is true. I, it, it, morning, you give testimony. You, give, you worship. That's how you worship God. You worship God and say, your word is true. I don't walk by sight. I walk by faith. You're establishing it. It is growing. At a point, that word will explode in your life. It will explode in your life. That word has so much power, nothing can stop it. It's the word of the living God. That's why I say we should speak like oracles of God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, so we have stopped evaluating all that from a human point of view now. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Yep, you're a new person. I'm a new person. That's who I am. The old life is gone. Don't tell me it's from my family. I don't have that again. Don't tell me that. Oh, you are born without born with nothing. I'm born again. I have a new birth. I'm not that person. Two can work together except they be agreed. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. So Paul said to Timothy, Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Grab that thing, it's yours. Agree with this eternal life. You got it, Timothy. You have it. Lay hold on this eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Lay hold on this thing. Say so. Paul said it. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not I, but Christ lives in me. He was confessing it everywhere. Do you know Jesus was confessing who God is? He said, I'm, I'm this. And I said, how can you fight with me? That's what God said. I pray that our eyes will be open to understand these things. So you see, so we are now going to go introduction of the Second part of the study is the doctrine of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the gateway to this supernatural acts of the Holy Spirit. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit always starts with the Holy Spirit coming upon a man or woman at the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this dispensation of the Holy Spirit ministry. When the dispensation of the Holy Spirit ministry with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it opens you up to the world of the supernatural in the manifestation of the, uh, of the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 19.4. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they had this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hand upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. You see, immediately they had that baptism of the Holy Spirit. They started speaking in tongues. They started prophesying. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the gateway to the supernatural for every Christian. That's why every Christian should be baptized. It's a gateway. And all of the men were about 12. About 12. So it, it's the, it is what the Holy Spirit does with the platform of the Spirit upon you. It's not the platform of the Spirit in you. The platform of the Spirit in you is what gives you life and revelation. 
But the platform of the Spirit upon you is what brings power and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. The nine manifestations of the Holy Spirit comes when the Spirit comes upon you in this dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And then I want to also talk about the hindrances to this manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It's mainly because we do not honor God's word and his presence. We quench the Spirit by disrespectful action. We don't take his word seriously. So he teaches us now Bible study. We don't try to study, do what he says. We, 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 leave, we leave the way we like. Acts 9.31. Look at the early church. So the church throughout the whole of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was a defied. That is growing in wisdom, growing in virtue and piety and walking in the respect and reverential fear of the Lord you see that, church? Reverential fear of the Lord and in the consolation and the exhortation of the Holy Spirit continued to increase and was multiplied. See their life. They honored the Spirit of God. They, on, they were so teachable, these people. Very, very humble people. Look at Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Did you see that? It was a steadfast continuation in studying, in studying what the apostles were teaching. Very teachable people, very humble people, and fellowship. They went for, they, if they told them to come, they'll go. They were not living by uh, their own individual choices. They were living by honoring the Spirit of God. And in breaking of bread and in prayer, 43, and fear came up. Look at what the Lord did with them. That's why we're not seeing the manifestation of the Holy I was asking the Lord, I said, why not? He said, because you people don't honor me. He said, you quench the Holy Spirit. You don't honor me. The people come to church, just do what they like. So you read about the early church. Go and see their life. And tell me, is that the same church? Is it, can you say that of this present Pentecost? Pentecost? Verse 3. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together. Listen, together. And had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, parted them to all men, as every man had need, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness, singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church such as should be saved. Bring two brethren to do business, give them money, and see how far they go. We are talking of raising money to feed the poor, to raise privileged people, 200 families. $100 per family. 100 We are begging Pentecostals. We are begging them. We are begging them. We are begging. <laughs> this is what they used to buy pizza. To feed hungry. We are begging. The Lord told me, he said, they don't walk in my love. They don't, they don't honor me. They don't fear me. They don't care about me. Paul said, if you purge yourself, you become a vessel of honor. There's a lot of purgings that should go. <clears throat> the, the love of God is not really manifesting a lot. There's so much pride. And I know what I'm doing. To you can't work with God by your own decisions. You walk by the guidance of the Spirit of God. When we humble ourselves and begin to honor him, they will find vessels of honor.
that he will use for honorable things. My mentor said something. He said, the Lord told him that this generation is going to lose the move of the spirit because they don't honor God. And brethren, that's true. We're not teachable. We think we know and we're struggling. There's so much struggling going on. There is so much defeat going on. There is so much confusion. The Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you again for this privilege to share in this very top, very important topic that we bear fruit. We bear the fruit of love, the fruit of the new life. By this, allow me know that we are disciples of yours. And then that prepares us to be vessels of honor that we use for great work in these last days. For you are looking for a man who is faithful. For you commit your work into the hand of faithful men. You say faithful man who can find, because there are few, very few. People who are humble, made themselves of no reputation like Jesus did, teachable. If we are not teachable, how do we, how do we speak your word? We are not prepared to hear it. How do we establish your word in our lives if we are living a lie? A liar cannot, cannot easily manifest faith because he lies all the time. Can't believe in his word. How can he believe in your word? Even this false life establishes us in deceit. It prevents us from believing your word. But I pray that you help us to see and to hear what you want us to see, what you want us to hear, so that our confession of faith we align with your word and drive our life to victory, to glory, to the life that you died to give us to live. And it's all by your power and an act of your grace. Thank you, merciful Father. In Jesus' name we pray.